Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from years past. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story by the immensely talented David Montgomery, who has a brand new comedy album out right now called Queen of Small Town Gossip. Look that up on iTunes. Here's David Montgomery now with a story that first appeared on the podcast in September of 2015. It's called Double Down. first few years after I graduated from college were pretty rough. I was always on the hunt for a job professionally, and money was always an issue. I went to school for education. I only found a part-time job in that field, which, if you can imagine, did not actually pay the bills. So I found myself waiting tables full-time. And it was hard to not take it personally. It was wearing on my self-esteem not finding something in that field. I felt like I needed a friend, somebody that I could confide in without judgment, and vice versa. And that's when I met Megan. I think our first verbal exchange with each other, we worked at a restaurant together and I walked up to her, I saw her punching in an order. And I walk up and I said, oh my God, your hair is so shiny. May I touch it? And she turned to me and she said in this exact voice, she said, yes, you may, but please be careful. <laughs> it's a wig and it's very cheap. It's my Posh Spice. Now, from that moment on, we were inseparable because she had me at Posh Spice. I'm a massive Spice Girls fan. We found out pretty quickly that we were really great together as friends, as drinking buddies. Um, we both loved terrible, disgusting bar food. Like anything that was deep fried, 
that was it for us. But we would only permit ourselves to have it on special occasions, like if we were celebrating something or if it was an emotional emergency. If we need some kind of pick-me-up, we would let ourselves eat this stuff. The other way that we were perfect friends and drinking buddies was I would always drink Captain and Coke at the time. And I would always inevitably, somebody would buy me a drink and they would accidentally pour me a Jack and Coke. And I hated the taste of it, but I had kind of gotten used to that mistake happening a lot. And she had the opposite problem. She was the Jack and Coke girl and she would always accidentally get poured a Captain and Coke. And she said, oh my God, Dave, we're soulmates. Do you realize this? Like we should just go out together and drink forever. And then whenever we get the wrong ones, just switch. And I thought to myself like, I don't know about drinking together forever. That sounds a little bleak, but the switching logic was spot on. I like that. Now, not to date the story too much, but I had this kick-ass Blackberry at the time. And people were just like, oh my God, an internet inside a phone? What's next, TV on a computer? It had this awesome feature in the Blackberry that you could, if you had somebody connected in your phone that was also your MySpace friend, you would get a text notification at midnight going into their birthday. So you would look like the coolest, most attentive friend who would always remember everybody's birthday and you're the first one to send them a text. And Megan was always the first person to laugh at me at midnight, feeling all important, checking my email and whatever at the bar. And it was great. Now, when she started there, people had been particularly mean to her at the restaurant and I could not figure out why. We had a weird mix of people working there at the time. Like at the end of the day, we could call each other out on shit and it was fine. But we had Tammy, the middle-aged mom to everybody, this awesomely white trash lady with a drinking problem, but she was great. We had Bob, he was like the biggest hippie I've ever met in my life. I think his body could actually absorb LSD as if it was vitamin C. It was just this strange mix of people and we all had our faults, but at the end of the day, we could be honest with each other. And at one point I said, hey, assholes, like what, what's our community problem with the new girl? Cause like, she seems really nice to me and you guys are being really terrible to her. Somebody said, yeah, she was like a drug addict in high school and she was in jail and stuff and she used to rob houses. And I'm like, yeah, but she's really nice now. So I don't get why, I mean, like you guys are all alcoholics with terrible attitude problems and we all get along well. Why can't we just sort of invite her on board? Now, I, I'm trying to not judge people by their pasts as much as try to let them show what kind of person they are in the present. And I can often come across as a sour person a lot of times, but I was trying really hard at this point in my life to be positive. I remember Megan, we went out after work one night pretty early on and we were bonding over fried foods. We downed this gigantic plate of onion rings and mac and cheese wedges and french fries and everything. And she told me her whole story. She got mixed up in this terrible relationship with this guy when she was in high school and his parents ran a meth lab and he gets her hooked on drugs. Uh, he has her robbing houses, all this terrible stuff. I could not give her enough credit for being able to tuck her tail between her legs, move back in with her mom and try to make a better life for her son. I thought it was so amazing. And she couldn't give me enough credit for having met Posh Spice in New York the year earlier. We all have those moments that define us. Megan's mom had a lot of patience and a lot of love inside of her. 
And it was evident in the way that she was able to take her daughter in when she was having such a rough time. And I think she must have had a sixth sense at this point in her life of seeing so many people come in contact with her daughter and either help her get on the right track or harm her and get her on the wrong track. And I think she sensed early on that I was one of the good ones. And anytime she had the opportunity, she would pull me aside and say, you're being a really good friend to her. And I want you to know how much I appreciate that. And whether she says this or not, she really needs people like you doing things like this. So a few years later, Megan gained sole custody of her son. But because of the laws of things like that, she had to move back to the state where the child was born. And it was an obvious struggle for her right away. She was leaving her friends and her family and everything she knew. And I remember at this time, she was writing me, she was calling me all the time, and she was very vocal about how lonely she was. She said she was just a stranger in this town. She didn't know anybody. She knew she was doing the right thing for her son, but she could recognize right away that she was sacrificing so much of herself to do it, that it was breaking her heart. It was breaking my heart too. I remember telling her at the time constantly, I said, look at what you have done so far. Look at how far you have come personally. I said, Megan, it sounds so trite. It sounds so cliche, but look at how far you've come. You are destined for greatness. Look at everything you've accomplished. And she was able to do it to a certain degree. She had built this brand new life up there. She had gained sole custody of her son. Eventually she finds this amazing house. She lands this awesome job where she's able to make ends meet. And she meets this guy while she's there. It's this guy from her job. They get along great. They eventually get married and they have this perfect little son Aiden together. So she stopped down in Pittsburgh just after giving birth to her baby. It was about, he must have been about a week old, and I was working nights at the restaurant at the time. I remember this one particular night, we were down two servers, and it was unexpectedly busy. And I knew she was in town. She said she was going to stop in, but I'm running around like a crazy person. If you would ask me my name at that point, I don't know that I would have been able to answer you. She and her mother had already been in there. They had already eaten. They had already had dessert. They were on their way out, and I almost missed her. But I was rushing past the front foyer, and I've got this giant plate of food and drinks, everything. It's about to topple over. And then I hear, Dave, Dave. And I put everything down. I almost started crying. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, God, it's Megan. Oh, my God. And she's got this beautiful, tiny little son, and her smile was so genuine. And it just, after seeing her on the way back up, this upswing in life, it was everything to see her smiling. And I look at her mom, and she says, hi, Dave. And the smile seemed permanent at this point. I feel like probably at this point in her life, all those little thank yous that she would say to kind people that are helping Megan, I feel like she was probably passing out a lot more of those these days. So at this point in my life, I had a very specific routine. I would wake up super early in the morning and I would go and work with my first graders until noon. And then I would rush back home and I would try my best to sleep for three hours on the couch. And then I would set my alarm. I'd wake up at 3 p.m. I'd chug some coffee and I'd rush, rush, rush out the door. I'd have to walk like three blocks to catch a bus, take that down to the restaurant. And then I would work there all night long come home super late and start it all over again the next day. So this particular day, it was super sunny. I don't know why that sticks out. I went to work at the school. I come home. 
I pass out on the couch and I have to close all of the blinds. I have to close all of the curtains. It's so sunny this day that I have to have the room completely pitch black. My alarm goes off at three o'clock and I look at my phone. It's from a number that I didn't recognize and I'm all hazy. I'm wiping my eyes. I don't know what's going on quite yet. And the text says, hi, Dave, it's Megan's mom. Meg had an accident last night and we lost her. Megan was killed in a car accident coming home from work, and I'm blindsided with this horrible mixture of pain and sadness and anger that I I didn't know could exist in this combination before. I'm sure everybody listening has seen that crazy person on the street who is obviously going through something, but for whatever reason, you can't stop and help them. You say to yourself, we can't save everybody. They might be dangerous, I don't know, but I was that crazy person that day. I couldn't stop and realize I need to process this. I was just, that internal body clock is telling me I need to go to work, I'll process this eventually. And I cried the entire way to the bus stop and then the bus ride is about 25 minutes and I cried the entire way to work. And I got off the bus and I said, I need to get this together. And so I dry my face off and I walk a few blocks over to go to the restaurant. And like the most jovial sweet manager is up front. And he's like, hey, David, did you get some sun today? I was like, no, I I didn't. I didn't. I'm trying not to be dramatic or anything. And he says, what? Come on, did you run here or something? You're like super red, dude. What the hell's going on? And I go, can we talk um, in private for a second? He's like, oh, you've been crying. Something wrong. I was like, we'll talk in private. So I go and I tell him, what had happened and he oh my god Dave oh my god that's your girl oh my god I am so sorry go home just go home and I realized that I needed to stay there for the night I needed something menial something small to keep me busy to keep my mind off of it and it actually helped being there that night Going to Megan's funeral was still to this day probably the most difficult emotional thing I've ever been through. I think there's something so much sadder about a young person's funeral than an older person's funeral. I have the staunch belief that humans are not equipped emotionally to bury their young. And that day in particular, I know that whenever you go to a funeral, the person who is grieving the most, who is hosting this whole thing, you've got to really keep it together in front of them. And I walked up and I saw Megan's mom and she gave me the biggest hug. And she said, God, she loved you so much. You're such a good friend to her. She's like, I'm so glad you're here. I looked at Megan and she looked so beautiful, but she had these telltale signs of the head injury that killed her. She had these bruises on her face, but she still looked so beautiful. And she looked finally at some kind of rest. I'm talking to Megan's mom and she leans in and hugs me and then Megan's five-year-old son comes up and says, Grammy, can I put some more flowers in mommy's box? And he's holding a rose and I lose my mind. I, I had to get out of there. I decided I couldn't stay for the service. I was crying too hard and I had to get out of there. So I went to KFC and I had the double down sandwich, which is the one where instead of having two pieces of bread holding it together, how sandwiches are, it's held together by two fried chicken breasts. 
Megan would have totally approved of that meal choice given the circumstances. It was an emotional emergency and I needed a pick-me-up. One night, several months later, I was coming off of the shift from hell at the restaurant. I was exhausted and I was miserable and I was sweaty and a friend of mine, I was gonna be meeting him for drinks. I was rushing to get out of there. I was already sweaty from the shift itself, but my bus was late and then it was taking forever to get there and I get off the bus, I have to run three blocks to get over there. I'm 30 or 40 minutes late to meet up with my friend. I go, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. It's been a really terrible day. And he goes, no, calm down, Dave, you're fine, you're fine, I got you a drink. And so I go to take a sip of my drink, my Captain and Coke, and it was not a Captain and Coke. He had accidentally ordered me a Jack and Coke. The shock of the wrong liquor in your mouth, it was like when you're a little kid and you go to take a sip of soda and it's flat, just that strange feeling in your mouth, and then set that feeling on fire with the memory of somebody who has made you happier than you could have ever been, and then wash that feeling down in that same millisecond with the idea that you're never gonna see them ever again. And I tried so hard, I'm at the gay bar, and I'm trying to not be dramatic, so I make a face and I try to not make a face, and my friend calls me out on it, he's like, what, what's wrong? And I just blame it on it being the wrong drink. And he says, no, come on, tell me what it is, I'll get you another one, but what, it seems more than that. And I said, no, it's fine, everything's fine. And I said, I'll drink it, I don't want another one. And my phone vibrates and I pull it out of my pocket, seeing who is texting me in this dramatic moment. And nobody is texting me. It's my Blackberry informing me via MySpace that it's Megan's birthday. And I lose my mind. I can't explode the way I need to in front of everybody. I feel like that would be social suicide. So I politely excuse myself and I walked outside that explosion of tears came out and I walked to KFC and I had my second and final double down sandwich. (laughs) Looking back on the day that I met Megan, I'm so glad that I took that very rare for me opportunity to choose love rather than making her the butt of a joke, which I feel like would have been very easy for me to do the way everybody else was doing. Turns out, I was going through this emotional struggle, feeling so unsure about myself and feeling like I really needed a friend. And it turns out her struggle was so much worse than mine. She really needed it a lot more than I did. And I'm so glad that we were able to be there for each other. That's all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Don't forget to look for David Montgomery's new comedy album, Queen of Small Town Gossip, on iTunes. And don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes of Risk. There's a brand new one every Tuesday, and everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.